Hello, and welcome to Maine Golf Talk. We are your hosts, Zach Zonlow and Henry Fall. In these podcasts, we'll be discussing what makes Maine Golf so special. We'll be sharing our own experiences and knowledge as both players and coaches. We'll also branch out to discuss hot topics in the game and chat with special guests to hear their stories. All to keep you in the know and help you improve your game. Let's get into today's podcast. Welcome to another episode of Maine Golf Talk. We are joined by longtime PGA Tour caddy and founder of the Tesori Family Foundation, Paul Tesori. Paul, thank you for joining us, and how are you doing today? Guys, thank you for having me on. Um, I've been missing golf, so anytime I have a chance to geek out for a little bit and talk about golf, talk about the foundation, uh, I'm going to take advantage of it. And everybody's good here. We have it a little easier here in uh, kind of North Florida than a lot of different places. We're still able to do some things. So uh, we're surviving. My wife's sick of me, but besides that, the rest of it's okay. That's, that's good to hear. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get back to some normalcy here soon. You know, main courses just opened up. Everybody's excited here. So I bet. So, uh, you know, occasionally we kind of step outside of Maine to talk about how golf can make a positive change outside of it. And, you know, your work with the DeSori Family Foundation does that. You know, how did did Um, that all get started? Yeah, just so thankful for the foundation. So it was something I always wanted to do. I played golf at the University of Florida. And while we were there, once a week, we would go just serve at a local senior center. It was part of the things that our coach wanted to do. And, you know, at first it was something you didn't want to do to go give your time and do that. But very quickly you found that you got a lot more out of it than even the, you know, seniors, the residents there were getting themselves. So I had that desire then. And. Fast forward to 2010, um, I was engaged to my now wife, Michelle. She runs nonprofits for a living. And I just made that comment a lot of us make, which is, you know, I'd love to do a foundation. I'd love to get back, but I don't want to do it until I can go all out. And she called me out. She's like, no, that's not how it works. You, you make a difference in one person's life, then two, then four, and go from there. And so um, for the first four years, we really just kept it local, did a lot of stuff for the senior centers, for the homeless shelters. And then, uh, voila, January 2014, my son Isaiah was born. Uh, just had to have an extra copy of uh, the 21st chromosome, a.k.a. Down syndrome. And so it gave the foundation a really big push and an energy and a direction where we wanted to go, and that was the special needs community. So we maintained the work with the senior centers and the homeless shelters, um, but now pushed a lot more into um, the special needs community. And it's, it's like a big family, to be honest with you. We, we felt alone for only a very short time before people started reaching out and, and you found people that, you know, had very, very common wants, desires, needs, worries, fears, all that as yourself. And so fast forward six years now from that January, um, being born for Isaiah and the foundation has really taken off. Uh, I think a lot of that is him and his story because of what I do for a living. It got out and a lot of people found out about what we were doing. And so that helped. And then, of course, Webb's great play. That brings more attention to me, which brings more attention to the foundation, uh, which helps. But we're pretty proud of it. We've gone over the one and a half million mark and, uh, you know, being able to give back not only to the local community now, but also um, through what we're doing with these all-star kids clinics. We'll have over 20 of them in the United States this year, kind of following the PGA Tour schedule where we do one-on-one instruction for kids with special needs between 8 and 18. We do it one-on-one with – PGA Tour players, caddies, and coaches, and 
it's been a, just a wonderful program and it's really taken off and we're excited to do it. And then we do our little golf tournament that we have down here called the three, two, one classic, which I'm not smart enough to be able to come up with all the stuff of how they put it together, but I have good ideas every now and then. And um, I wanted to do something different for our golf tournament. So we, we maxed it out as only at only 63 players. You're only in threesomes and you're only allowed 21 clubs. Uh, obviously that's trisomy 21 for down syndrome, but kind of our purpose is, is that you can still be successful with only 21 clubs as a group. Uh, it's just going to be a little more difficult. You have to think a little bit more. And it's the same way with Isaiah, same way with other kids with down syndrome is that, yeah, you can still be successful. Um, we just need to give them some extra tools to be able to kind of work your way through. You got to think a little bit more and you kind of might have to go outside the mainstream. So we love the, the golf tournament. It's already sold out for this year. People love it. And uh, it's a big push for us being able to get back. So Check us out, TesoriFamilyFoundation.org. Uh, we just love the thoughts, prayers, support. Um, yeah, it's, it's awesome that uh, you guys are doing so um, much. It, it's one of those things with the foundation that, you know, you start off, you want to give back because it's the right thing to do. Um, and it's something that's in your heart. But what we realize is the more we give, we get so much more out of it than who we're trying to help through this terrible pandemic that we're going through right now you know we've encouraged everybody the senior center that we go and volunteer at just write cards to them you know they don't get any visitors as hard as we think we have it here and we don't we still have family here that's you know living in the house and um you have that love but you know your our senior centers are really lonely so write them cards um send them video messages whatever you got to do just to make sure they know they're not alone it's it's awesome um you know the the all-star kids clinic uh, is I saw it, you know, at the uh, TBC Scottsdale. Yeah, um, did a great job there with, you know, Harry Higgs, and you had Amy Bogerstedt, um, yes. which I mean, what a great story Amy Bogerstedt is. That was that was awesome. It really is, and what she's done just to bring awareness to the Down syndrome community. To uh, you know, so we have countries that are celebrating the eradication of um, of Down syndrome of this genetic anomaly, and. Man, I just wish that somewhere, somewhere along the way that we could just educate them a little more. Because if you spend any time around someone who has Down syndrome, you'll realize maybe we're missing that extra chromosome that they have. Um, worldly, they don't look like what we think it's supposed to be. But my son brings way more joy into people's lives than I do. Um, I get mad when somebody holds me up in the left lane. And he would find a way for that to be fun somehow. I don't know how, but he's still teaching me. So I'll keep learning. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. All right. So we really want our listeners to go check out the Sorry Family Foundation. You know, if you can donate any way, please do so. Hopefully, you know, Paul, maybe we can come up with some idea to kind of get, help you guys out up here in Maine. You know, that would be, it'd be huge to kind of spread the word. That'd be I mean, you do have Augusta there, you know, so you, you can't go backwards from there. You, you're already made. You're good. <laughs> Everybody said you've been to Augusta? Yeah, I've been to Augusta. So. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, we are. We told a story a couple of, uh, couple episodes ago that uh, they actually attributed uh, Augusta Country Club in Maine to Donald Ross, even though he was doing the work at Augusta Country Club oh. in Georgia. Um, they just back in the day, they, it was all by papers. So, really great. That's good. Kind of kind of fun fact for you there. Yeah, I love it. So let's let's get into your uh, your illustrious career, uh, caring for uh, VJ Singh with the uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Who and uh, and uh, you know let's let's talk a little bit about uh, some of these uh, great experiences that you've got to uh, be a part of. I love it. I love it. I'm ready. Where do you want to start? You you tell me and I'll I'll run with it. You know let's let's start with uh, let's start with Scottsdale. Uh, you know recent victory from Webb's. Yeah. Um, 
you know, what, what was it like? I mean, that finish was incredible. I mean, those birdies on 18 were just yeah. insane. And um, how was it, how was it like inside the ropes on 16? So, you know, there's, there's so many different answers there. Let's do the 16 answer first. Like that whole, it, you never get fully used to it. But I think as you see the years go by and you see this younger generation come up, it's Tiger's generation. They grew up seeing what he did and thinking that was normal, winning five, six, seven, eight times in the year, being fearless, not getting nervous. And you see more and more of athletes are playing golf now. Like you, you're walking down, you know, these ropes and you take a look at Tony Finau for a little bit. And you realize he's been able to dunk since he was 14. Um, he still can easily dunk. Um, and he's got these big, broad shoulders, big, tall guy. And you look at Kepka, you look at Jamie Lovemark, you look at Cantley and all these guys, and you see these tall, wide shoulder guys that would have been doing another sport, and now they're playing golf. And so they stepped into a hole like 16, and I think they just get excited, like, this is fun. Where if you put me, or probably you, or most of us on that hole in that situation, it would be sheer panic. It'd be terrifying. Um, one of my favorite stories is working for VJ there, who will go down in history as one of the top 10 best ball strikers that ever lived. He had a streak of six straight missed greens there. And if you don't think guys get nervous, if you don't think guys have a little bit of energy running through, that guy can't where, you know, somebody would yell out the last second or something else. So that's gotten easier. Um, as far as Webb's win goes, you know, there was a lot building into that. We had had four second place finishes in our last 12 events. Uh, three other events we had lost by one in that same stretch that weren't seconds. Um, the tournament before that lost by one at Sony. Two turns before that we got beat in a playoff. Uh, Tyler Duncan birdied 15, 17, and 18 to get into a playoff and then birdied 18 again. Does that sound familiar? Because it, it, we're about to do it um, to Tony, you know, unbeknownst to us at the time. But um, Weber was good. He had a one-shot lead, and then Tony got hot with the putter on the back nine. Um, he made about a 30-footer for par on 10, um, made another probably 25-footer on 12, and made two other good putts. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves two down through 15. And we gave a good step. Webb has step-by-step -step printed on all his wedges. It's just kind of that, that um, mantra of going forward step-by-step. -step. You know, it's the old-school thing, hole-by-hole. But – it's even smaller than that. It's just all you can control is what you have right in front of you. And, but we felt down. Like, I, I don't think I've ever felt that flat on the 16th tee box before. Um, but our goal was to try to birdie the last three. And hit a great shot on 16, didn't make the putt, drove it on the green on 17. And Tony made a little bit of a mistake there. It's definitely not a gimme birdie, but he got underneath his three wood a little bit and hit it at the greens or the fairway bunker. He actually made a really good four. And then 18 is kind of what set us up. That hole's given us a lot of problems throughout the years. Um, Webb can't hit driver there. He can't cover the water down the left. And if he hits driver straight, it goes in the bunker. So driver's out for us where these big guys can take the water out and hit pitch shots basically into that green. We're kind of back there with, with all the little guys. Um, and just the shot doesn't look good to Weber. And we practiced. We went to the range after Saturday's round for one reason. And it was to hit that tee shot. And he just didn't have a feel. Um, we got to 18T, and, and he was being a little quiet. And we were one back, had to make birdie. And he just looked at me and goes, Paul, I, I don't know what to hit. What do you like? <laughs> and so I just very quickly said, buddy, it's a three-wood right at the bunker. He said, why not drive? I just told him, you can't cover here. It goes too far. And he had a great drive. Um, the approach shot, we're trying to go yard left of the hole, came out two yards right of the hole, which is it's luck more than anything else because you would much rather putt from right of the hole 
There's no room over there. So you're not purposely trying to hit it there, even though it's an easier putt. But it came out a little right. He had that 18-footer and poured it in. Uh, Tony hit a great putt. It probably didn't have quite enough speed, but his broke more than ours did. Um, and then in the playoff, it was just a shorter version of the other one. He had a great three-wood down the middle. Um, again, trying to go a yard left of the hole. It came out one yard right of the hole um, and had about a you know, 10, 11-footer up there and, and hit a great putt and made it. And when it went in, you know, it's man, it's hard to win on that tour. It's especially hard to win kind of the way Webb plays golf, which is old school. Um, you know, he only flies it uh, 283, which would be great for most of us. But out there, it's a good solid probably 12 yards to even more behind the average guy. And it's 25 yards shorter of, of the elite guys. So for him, he's just got to do a lot of things really well. And winning out there when the ball went in, it, there's a part of you that really does. You feel bad because the two guys we beat are friends. Um, they're Ryder Cup teammates, they're President's Cup teammates, and they are friends. But – you want to win. And it felt good when it went in to finally get over the hump. And we've only played one tournament since then, and that was in February. So it's, it's really crazy to look back. Uh, we didn't really have a chance to, to pull on that momentum, but he'll be ready to go back. Um, they've had the golf courses open where he is in Charlotte. And so he's been playing two to three days a week, competing, and then practicing at least two days a week too. So he'll be ready. Yeah, Paul, I actually heard a podcast. Uh, he was on with Mark Immelman. And uh, he talked about the changes he's made in, um, I guess, with his body working out a little bit more over the last few years and the effort he's put in to, uh, you know, to get back to, I guess, top 10 form, which he, he clearly is. Um, and then the putting change as well. Can you yeah. talk about, I mean, it's got to be super gratifying winning that event and, and obviously the players a couple years ago as well. Can you talk about the work that you guys put in together and, and maybe if, if you had to be a little vocal at times and, and kind of say, hey, let's get it together. Yeah, there, yeah there's a lot to that for sure. Um, try to go kind of like there's, there's like an A, B, and C inside of that. Um, you know, first of all, talk about his body. I, I think it has been a tremendous asset what he has done. And when, when he called to hire me in December 2010, he was 213th in the world. He just kept his card. I had had some success and we talked on the phone. I just asked him some questions like, what are your desires? I know your faith is really, really strong, but I get a little worried sometimes that people confuse a strong faith with, well, you're not allowed to be great or to want to be great. And that's not, that's not true at all. This is Webb's platform in his faith and what he believes and to be able to spread that. And so you need to go after it with everything you've been given. And the biggest change I think Webb has made is his body. I used to call him a skinny fat kid. You know, he, he would have clothes on. He'd be walking free. He'd be like, oh, man, he's fit. He took the shirt off. And you're like, whoa, there's no muscles. It, he used to go to, like, McDonald's after a bad round, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> he just doesn't play bad that often. So, yeah, he doesn't have to pound the McDonald's as much. But uh, he's really transformed his body. Um, when he came on tour, he was 196 pounds. He's now 186. But when he started working with his new trainer, Cornell Dreesen, out of Charlotte, um, they did that, I guess, aquatic body fat measurement where you figure out your body fat and your muscle tone a lot, a lot you know, back when we were in high school, or I say me, I'm older than you guys, but they would just pinch you and say, oh, okay, that's it. Well, this is a lot more deeper than that. And he has gained 16 pounds of muscle and lost 18 pounds of fat in just the last two years. And so that is transforming his body type. I make fun of him all the time. And I know it makes him feel good too. I was like, but you have an ab. Look at that. That's an ab right there. And so it's helped Webb. It's helped him with his flexibility. 
even though he's still short by tour standards, he's a lot longer than he used to be. He's picked up about 10 yards over the last two years. I'd say five because the Titleist came out with a really strong driver and then another five just through strength. And our goal is 10 more without chasing it. We just feel like through the body and through a little bit of minute changes in the golf swing. So I think that's the first thing about fitness. The second thing and the biggest one is what you mentioned is the putting. Man, uh, the putting man went into play 2016. We knew about it a year and a half earlier, middle 2014. So we switched a year early. And Weber fell from, at the time, I think he was seventh in the world. We fell to 100th in the world. Um, we were top 30 in putting. Uh, and we fell to 177th and 179th the next two seasons. So that would have been 2015 and 16. Um, 2017 going into the players we were 192nd on tour and putting and I was at the point where I was losing hope that we would ever be a top 10 player again I didn't doubt that he might win again because he's so talented but I really didn't think we were probably ever going to get to that point where we could find that top 10 form again because it takes consistently good putting not just putting good every now and then and Tim Clark was on the putting green on Wednesday afternoon in 2017 with players um, they had the same agent. He asked me, hey, do you mind if I go say something to Webb? I said, buddy, you can go say whatever you want. I've tried everything, um, and Webb tried everything. And he just introduced that right-hand grip. It's that right-hand saw grip. Um, Webb had been using the Kuchar method to no success. He, again, 192nd on tour and putting. He put that right-hand claw grip on. That was Wednesday afternoon. Thursday, the players, the next day, he never had used it on the golf course, and he put it right in play. And immediately that day, he went from being – and a hundredth ranked player in the world to right away, he was back to being in top form. And then as the confidence started matching the mechanics, he just slowly started rising and rising until a year later um, at the players, he blew the field away. Um, obviously for me, my, my most special win is the players for a lot of reasons, born and raised here. Grandfather taught me the game here. Um, battling hadn't won in four and a half years going through, you know, anxiety, yips, whatever you want to call it in front of a lot of people. Uh, the putting band stripping a couple of years away. Um, it just, it felt incredible to get that done, to kind of prove that he was back and prove uh, that we could do it again. So that's a, that's a monster win. People are like, not the 2012 U.S. Open. That's not for me. And Webb will still say the most satisfying win is the players. You know, obviously when his career goes down, that U.S. Open is going to hold a notch above the players. But for us and our career and how much hard work went into it, it'll still be the players. He played great that week during the players. Um, you know, I know, I know it ended up being a four shot lead, but it seemed like he was just in full control pretty much from, from the first hole on. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was an impressive week it, to shoot 66 the first day in the morning tied for the lead. And um, to go out the next afternoon was the big one. It was playing really tough Friday afternoon. I think the lowest score was five under. Webb was 11 under through 16, uh, hit it in the water on 17 and made double and still shot nine under. Um, it's crazy now to look back. We doubled 17 on Friday and then doubled 18 on Sunday and still won by four. It's amazing to look back and just know how special that week was. And that golf course is made for Webb. You got to work the ball right to left, left to right. You have to have a lot of manipulations in your flights. And we, I really think we're going to get that one again at some point. Uh, we, we were in seventh place after one day this year, so who knows, that might have been uh, a good push. But we'll, we'll, we'll try to get them in 21. You, you just mentioned it. Uh, you guys were in seventh place after the first round. What was it like uh, being out there on that you know, first round, knowing that you don't know if this tournament's going to be played all the way through? Or yeah. 
I think we had an advantage. We played Thursday morning. So, obviously, the news of the NBA hit Wednesday night. Um, we were up at 4.45 in the morning, Thursday morning, out of the golf course, hit balls. We're on the golf course, and we're talking about what happened the night before. But there is no thought for us at the time that this tournament's not going to be played. We had talked about, I thought, that the fans weren't going to be allowed for the weekend. It was my thought. We had fans on Thursday. We were told on our 15th hole in the morning that fans weren't coming out, and we all agreed, you know, that that made sense. And we were all talking, maybe we're going to add a tournament or so, because it, it kind of conserves some energy sometimes when the fans aren't out, even though they can help you when you're not playing well, but still it takes some energy away. So from what I hear, the guys that were playing in the afternoon on Thursday had a different experience. They knew before they went out there weren't going to be any fans. I think people were probably starting to talk a little bit about potential cancellations. I think one sport had already announced that we didn't know about when we had played that, you know, that they weren't going to do. Obviously, the NBA had said that they were going to suspend the rest of the season. And so I think when we got home Thursday night, we were starting to realize, okay, things are turning. I still never thought the tournament was going to be canceled. Golf is so fortunate that we, with the exception of your player and caddy, we don't need to be closer that – even our the guys that were playing, we were very rarely inside a ten feet of the guys that we're playing with. You know, you'll say good putt or something like that, but you're not going to be close. So I thought we could get it done. Uh, the more and more we've learned going forward, the tour ended up being put in a situation they didn't have a choice. If they would have tried to play the end of that tournament, I just think the backlash they would have gotten would have been too drastic. I still think they could have kept us safe, but the backlash would have been a lot. So we didn't get the text till almost ten o'clock on Thursday night, and. I got to be honest with you, I, I felt a little depressed. I was sad. I, I, I was still in a little bit of shock. It didn't feel real. And <laughs> the incredible part of the, the people that played in the afternoon on Thursday, um, there was the, over a dozen guys that had already gone to bed. So they, wake, they woke up Friday morning at alarms going off at 445, about to hop in the shower. In fact, Mark Leishman took a shower, hopped in his car, and was driving to the course before he looked at his phone and saw what had happened. So surreal, shocking obviously looking back a 100% correct decision, but still not fun to be part of in the moment. Yeah, it was, it was weird, you know, even just watching it on TV. And I mean, I, th- I thought it was great because they had the, uh, all those new, you could watch pretty much every player, every shot. So I was all jacked up. I got to yeah. watch pretty much every shot all week. And you know, I was while excited we getting- to do that. wake up in the morning. Uh, we used to have to go out and walk the golf course. Now you just, turn on your computer and watch every shot. Like, this is the best thing. Like, I, I can't wait to do this. Um, they had it dialed in. They were ready to go for sure. Um, and what a great fan experience it's going to be when we get back in 21. But, yeah, obviously what happened very – it happened quick. Like, again, NBA Wednesday night, PGA Tour Thursday night. And was it – you guys would know better than I was. By Friday, I think every sports organization had, had put the stops. Is, it, is that correct? Yeah, uh, I think uh, while you guys were playing, I think NHL had announced um, by the afternoon of Thursday, M- MLB oh, had announced, okay. and it just yeah. was well, okay. yeah. snowball. Okay. Um, we were we were kind of joking. Uh, my fiance and I actually had a uh, party on Wednesday night for a little engagement party up here, and that was pretty much the last time we had a big gathering uh, since, so. Still remember um, that engagement party forever, though. It would kind of be like, where were you? Um, that kind of story. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I remember watching the uh, – I turned on TV on Thursday to watch golf with my mom, and it was just like, all right, well, this might be the last round for a while. 
It's uh, right. crazy. Yeah. So what uh, what do you guys think about you know this this new revamp tour schedule? Um, I'm I'm a fan of Masters in the Fall. I think that's going to be sweet. <laughs> um, I'm glad we're having a Masters. Let's start with that. Uh, you know, it's November in Georgia's cold. Um, now I say cold, and I'm talking to some a lot of Maine people, so I'm sorry. I'm a Floridian, so you have to give me some uh, give me some leeway here when I say cold. Uh, it was 58 this morning here. So I was like, man, it's cold this morning. I have to watch who I'm talking to. So um, November Masters is going to be incredibly different. Um, it's on average 11 degrees colder. Um, high average is 57 that time of the year. Low in the morning, 38. Um, for a guy like my guy, um, cold weather drastically affects guys with lower swing speeds. So my first instinct was, man, that's going to be really, really tough. However, the ball is going to go shorter, um, which means it's going to go shorter for everyone. Um, guys are going to have a little longer irons into the green. I think there'll be less greens being hit. You know, the course is going to be soft. It's going to be, you know, we're still into the grain there. All the fairways, I don't know if most people know, but they, they grow them up and they mow them into the grain there to prevent distance. That's what they do at Augusta. And it's going to be colder and softer. So I do think the one advantage Weber will have is we're used to hitting four irons and five irons into greens. And now maybe these guys that are used to hitting a wedge into one, they're going to be back there with us, maybe hitting six irons. And so um, we won't be in as much a shock, hopefully, as they will. And it's going to be very important around the greens that week. Uh, again, I think the number of greens that will be hit will be a little bit less. But the Masters, too, and the membership there, they also have the ability to set the course up however they want. You know, they can flip the grain and make the ball roll further. They can um, move the pins from, you know, their sadistic sometimes pins that they like to use on us to make them gentler and softer. And that's the fun thing about Augusta. They can kind of control the winning score. And we already know going into it about somewhere around 12 to 15 under a win the golf trip because that's what they want to win. it. They can make even par win anytime they want. And they can have 20 under win whenever they want just by pin placements um, and flipping the grain. So uh, I'm glad we're having a Masters. It is going to be weird to play two Masters in five months. Um, if you win, you're going to have the shortest. Yeah, I, I think this all came, you know, it's, it's always been about Tiger. Well, now he's had like a whole year and a half to be the defending champ. You know, I mean, come on. Um, when Weber wins the players, they move it from May to March. We only had nine months. They shrunk ours down, but Tiger gets a little extra. So um, that part will be fun. And as far as the schedule goes, I'm just so ready to go to work. Uh, it's incredible how quickly that bank account starts to dwindle um, when you're sitting at home. And I think for the tour, I think for the tour, second week of June is a great decision. Um, we can control a lot of things. There's not going to be fans for our first four tournaments. Uh, we are going to have uh, some volunteers just to run shot links so people can still watch at home and still get on the computer. But all of that is going to be done. Um, and I also think it's that's still 30 uh, – the tournament starts 37 days from now. That's still a lot of time in the world that we live in right now. We're going to know so much more. And so I think we're going to play. I think the second week of June we'll be ready to go. But we all know – you know, with the next two weeks, if something else changed, then that could be pushed back. But I like where we're headed. I'm excited to play golf. I think getting the PGA Tour back, trying to take my own selfishness out of, of wanting to compete and obviously wanting to make a living, I think that it would be great to get the tour back. People need something to watch on TV. We can do this very safely, and the tour won't take any chances. 
Yeah, it's it's good that it's back. And like you said, you can space it out. I mean, you barely see, you know, besides you and your player, I mean, there's really very little interaction and uh, connection. I, I had somebody said, like, are you going to stand close to Webb? I was like, buddy, I'll kiss Webb. Have you seen what he's done for me over these last few years? I don't mind. Like, they're not keeping me away from him. Um, I'm sure that we'll figure out a way if somebody's not feeling well. I don't know what they're going to do as far as checking fevers or testing. I don't, I'm not smart enough to handle that right now, but as far as my boss goes, we're going to be closer than that, obviously, and just try to maintain the distance with everyone else. Are you, you know, what are you doing to stay in shape? I mean, you know, come, come August, I mean, you guys are in for a stretch of a lot of golf and big, big events. I don't do well with eating when I'm indoors. Um, I have managed. So we, we were put in place March 13th is when we decided to quarantine with Isaiah being a high risk and Michelle's mom, who's here as well. Um, and I have managed to put on 12 pounds uh, since March 13th and not a single bit of that is muscle. So um, I've got some work to do. Um, we have a Peloton here in the house. Michelle rides it. My wife rides it every day while I'm eating pancakes with my son. She's riding the Peloton. Uh, so might need to maybe start there and change there, uh, change that. I just need, I need to get in shape for sure. And I do actually have a little goal. Um, I leave for colonial on June 5th, um, on May 5th. So what is that? Three more days. I'm going to start getting myself in shape, start eating a little healthier. I am going to start getting on the bike a little bit, maybe going for a little more walks. Um, we've been able to walk and play golf here. Um, we can ride as well, but, uh, walking and playing has been easy. We haven't played around in over three hours and 45 minutes. Um, and I've probably played 15 rounds of golf since this started in foursomes and walking. And we're still playing in under four hours. It's been wonderful. Uh, great exercise, too. So that's helped a little bit. But we're going to need to do something to get back in shape. Yeah, it's uh, – I was we were looking at the schedule and we're like, oh, man, this is going to be tough for some of these guys. <laughs> yeah, it is. We're going to – you know, at the kind of very beginning, we're going to play the first three – take one off, play another one, take two off to get ready for that next big push. Um, that, that last push there is going to be six in a row, I believe, and then eight out of nine, including a Ryder Cup, a U.S. Open, a Torch, a FedEx Cup final, three playoff events. So there's going to be a lot going on in a very quick amount of time. And um, we'll, we'll be ready for sure. All right, so let's let's talk about – well you know, Ryder Cups this year, but uh, let's talk about that President's Cup last year. I mean, that was, you know, an impressive comeback from a, uh, a tough start. And what was it like getting down so early, so quickly, and then, you know, everybody having the confidence to do what they were supposed to do and win? So I'm actually positive by nature, but what I'm about to say doesn't sound positive. I, we'll call it, maybe I'm a realist, uh, but going into the week, I, I really thought that we were probably going to get beat. I just thought we had a lot of things against us going to Australia. First of all, this international team is younger, hungrier, fearless. Um, so I knew they were going to back down. Um, Captain Els had them all over a week before playing in the Australian Open. So time zone was not going to be an issue. I knew they were already at uh, Royal Melbourne Sunday playing and practicing. I knew we were flying over, not going to get there till Monday afternoon. And it, it is a massive time change. And it does take a little bit of getting used to. And the week before we were all at the Bahamas at Tigers tournament playing and it was blowing 20 miles an hour. 
um, which a lot of times will get your swing out of whack a little bit. You're hitting so many flighted shots, draws, cuts, trying to manipulate the wind that sometimes that can take a little bit of getting used to. So, you know, by the time we were teeing it up on Thursday, I, I couldn't believe the tournament had already started. I'm like, what? It felt like we just got here. And you could just tell we were a little flat. They were not flat at all. Um, you know, from my standpoint, you know, working for Webb, uh, Webb and Patrick, uh, we got beat the first two matches, um, but actually played very well. We, we were we had the second lowest score of the first match, got beat by the guys we were playing with one down. Tied for second best score of the second match, got beat two and one. Um, and there was a lot going on with Patrick at the time as well with what had happened the week before with the incident. And the Australian fans took every single opportunity they could there to let him know what they thought about that. Yes. Um, you know, the first day I didn't really, I wasn't quite ready for what was coming. And at first inwardly, I was giving the Australian fans a hard time until I realized if that would have happened and then we went to New York, <laughs> what would have happened would have been infinitely worse if it would have been New York fans the next week. So the fans were fine. They were just taking advantage of a situation and we were on foreign soil. So they're supposed to do what they did, but there were, had to be over a thousand shovels out the first day, hard hats, all of that good stuff. Um, one of my favorite stories. And I actually had told this one other time in a podcast and then I had to call to make sure it was okay. And he gave me permission, but we're out there the first day. And everybody kept saying kind of the same thing as the ex the excavator, the excavator, the excavator, the, you know, the excavator. And, they, and he kept saying, and Captain Excavator, you know, where are they? Kept saying it over and over again. Well, we get to the seventh hole, and Weber turns to me and goes, Paulie, what is this they keep saying? What, what is that? Is that like one of those Marvel characters or something like that? Like, I don't know what an excavator is. And I just lost it. I, I, I just lost it laughing. I just thought, you know, Weber has grown up, grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's been really good at golf since he was about one. Um, and so an excavator is something, you know, that Webb wouldn't really understand what that is, the equipment, or even what the process of excavating is. And so he asked me that. So we, we have a good laugh about it. I tell him what it is. But we get done and we're having lunch. We got beat pretty bad. We're a little down and solemn. I'm eating with my wife and with Webb's wife, Dowd. And about five minutes into it, she goes, hey, baby, talking to Webb, she goes, hey, baby, they kept saying excavator out there. Like, you know, what is that? Is it I, for a while? I know they call him Captain America. Is that like a superhero or something like that? And I, they had not talked. So this was not a pre-planned thing. I got up out of my chair. I threw my hat. I was like, you have to be kidding me. And so she's sharing the story. And I don't know. It's just kind of fun now looking back on it and remembering, but um, there was a lot of that going on. I felt bad for Patrick and for Kessler, Miss um, caddy, but um, it's, it's part, it's what comes with the territory. It's what comes with fame. It's what comes with notoriety. Obviously, uh, what happened the week before is it's a shame. Um, no one really knows what happens and, you know, I'm not really going to speak on that behalf. It, you know, people say he definitely cheated. Uh, we don't know that cheating comes from intent. That's the only way cheating happens. Does it look good? No, he even admits it doesn't look good. Um, so I'm not going to talk to where his heart was. None of us really know at the time, but, uh, obviously, uh, they took full advantage of it. So the next question was, we were, it looked like we were going to be down 9-1 at the end of the second session on Friday, which would have been insurmountable. No one's coming back from that. And we had those two late matches on Friday there that were enormous. Obviously, that would have been Tiger and Justin Thomas uh, with the massive putt Justin made on 18. 
but then also Cantlay and I don't know who Cantlay's partner was, maybe Finau. I can't remember offhand, but Cantlay made that 20-footer on 18 as well that broke two and a half feet and made that. Um, and it flipped those two matches. We went from looking like we were going to be down 9-1 to I think it might have been six and a half, three and a half, or I think it was six and a half, three and a half, and what a massive change. And so that – it reminded me of Medina back in 2012, the other way around. We had that massive four-point lead on the Europeans at Medina. But um, Poulter had birdied the last five on Saturday afternoon to win that match one up. And it was a weird feeling that night. It, it felt, you know, momentum is something that really can't be created. Um, and it, I know the Europeans talked about afterwards, they felt like they had the momentum going into the singles matches. And we felt like going into Saturday and Sunday, we, we had the momentum. And even though we were down going into the singles, we really felt like we had the momentum and we were able to get it done. And the last thing I want to say, Captain Woods surprised me. He shocked me. I, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought he was going to be a little bit more hands-off, obviously being the first playing captain since Hale Irwin in 1994. Um, so it had been 26 years, 25 years. Um, but, I mean, he was all in it. I was getting texts two months out, a month out, and then weekly from there on, tell it to me about Weber. I don't care what he has to say. I'm not going to share this. What, what do you think? Um, and obviously the other caddies were getting the same information. Once we got there – he had dinner with the, us, the caddies, twice versus having dinner with the players. Again, having fun, relaxed, but also asking us very intentional questions. Hey, I, I know everybody wants to play, but tell me the real deal. How's Weber playing? How's Patrick playing? Um, and I just think that is a testament to him. And then the last thing was, I, I guess this is how you win 82 times um, and just dominate the rest of us for so long. He never panicked. He would come up each time. We lost our all three matches playing with Patrick team matches. And he came up, and I think he knows my personality very well. And he looked at me and goes, Paula, don't worry. We're fine. It's still a long way to go. We're good. Keep your head up. We're going to need that singles match tomorrow. I'm going to sit you, obviously, in the afternoon. Get to the range. Hit some balls. Rest a little bit. Eat some lunch. Come out. Follow us in. Blah, blah, blah. But I need that point tomorrow. If we don't get your point tomorrow, we're not going to win and it's just this matter-of-fact, no-stress, no-worry approach. And um, I, I think personally that he, besides going 3-0, and which is incredible in and of itself, um, the reason why we won the President's Cup was him. Yeah, it, and, you know, we've listened to a lot of podcasts. We've listened to Justin Thomas talk about his experience playing with Tiger during that. And it seems like, you know, Tiger was just, you know, he kind of took it to a whole nother level and, it was cool from, you know, a spectator's point of view that, you know, you could see this. I mean, it's been, a, you know, a couple of years in the making of more friendly Tiger, but yeah. you can, it was, it was really obvious at the, at the President's Cup. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they, they played that fun practical joke on me. I don't know if you saw that, but on Wednesday for picture day, I show up to the golf course and everything's normal to me and we're all putting on our white hats or whatever. And I see on the back of Joe LaCava, the caddies for tigers hat, it says Paul who I just looked at her and said, what is that? What, what, what is, I said, Joe, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, I just wanted to have fun with you. I was like, okay. So we walk out to go take pictures and I see tigers got Paul who two and one written on the back of his hat. Now I know something up. And then I realized all the caddies have done it. And then Weber, uh, Patrick and uh, Tiger did it as well, just to 
have a reference back to the year 2000 was my first President's Cup working for VJ. It was only my third event caddy, and I had worn the infamous Tiger Who hat. Um, and Tiger loves the story, so I'm going to waste another three minutes of everybody's life here and tell the story of how that all came about. So Tiger makes me tell this at every team event because he loves it. So President's Cup 2000, I'm working for VJ. Uh, first four matches, we get paired against Tiger and Noda Begay. And people forget that Noda was a top 10 player in the world, had won four times in 13 months. And he carried Tiger all four matches. Like Tiger was playing poor golf, not just for Tiger. He just wasn't playing well. And they beat us three of the four matches. And we had Ernie as our partner three of those matches and then Ratik Goose in another one. And going into singles, who do we get again but Tiger? And the Americans were destroying the internationals. Um, I think the Americans only need like a point and a half to win. So I show up on Sunday and the ball guys had 12 of these hats made up, perfectly stitched that said Tiger Who on the back. And I said, what is this? And they just said that at 23 to 24 guys had signed their flag and Tiger hadn't signed it yet. And so they wanted to have fun with it and just make up some hats and just, so I was like, I thought it was hilarious. I went and showed, of course, all the other caddies, oh yeah, they all laughed too. They were all going to wear it too, the international. I get over, I show it to Veej, Veej laughed, no problem. We get out on the golf course, we're one up through three. Fourth hole, Tiger pulled his iron shot in the water. He chipped up to about 15 feet for bogey. VJ's got about 10 or 11 feet for birdie. So VJ says, Tiger, that's good. Pick it up. Thinking he's going to say, yeah, it's good. Let's go. Tiger doesn't say anything. So VJ's got 11 feet. He taps it down, and half the ball is hanging over, like truly half the ball. If this is the golf ball, half the ball's over the lip, half the ball's like not it. It's one of those, if you get it long enough, it's going to fall in. We don't hear anything. And we look over on the side of the green, and all you see, you see these arms cross and the scowl. And he didn't say anything. He made us putt it from a millimeter on the edge. So we tap in, and VJ says, I don't think he likes your hat. So we go to the next tee, and Tiger turned about an extra 15 degrees on his backswing. He had about a 305-yard mid-height draw hammered out there and played the next 13 holes seven under and beat us two and one. And at the end of the round, obviously, I figured out very quickly how naive I was. There was 20 different news agencies waiting to talk to me and all that. And it was meant as a joke and something fun that I, I didn't quite realize where I was. And so nothing had really been – I apologized to Tiger a couple of weeks later. And he was great. He said, I didn't – I just apologized. I didn't mean it disrespectfully. And he said, yeah, I didn't take it disrespectfully, but it did, want, it did make me want to kick y'all's bleep. Um, and so – uh, you know, we had a good laugh about that, but we didn't talk about it for what the next 11 years. I was working for Weber in 2011 and we we're on the putting green. I think it was at Doral. Webb loves the story. He tells it better than I do. But I was like, you know, Webb, I've been out with Tiger over a hundred times on tour and been probably 20 practice rounds. I said, I still feel like there's that little tension there. I was like, watch this. He's walking by. I said, what's up, Tiger? Who? He goes, what's up, two and one? And he just kept walking. And he, he, he stopped about 20 yards away and turned around that big grin that we get to see a lot of now. Thankfully, I love that. That big grin was here ear to ear. And he gave me a head nod and he walked away. But just think about that, that he walked by. I said, what's up, Tiger, Tiger who? And he did not wait even a quarter of a second. He goes, what's up, two and one? And so I just think that's still elite athletes find ways for that bulletin board um, material to kind of sit there. And obviously, we saw what he did, you know, to Stephen Ames at the match play, beating him 9-8 and eight after Stephen had said. And what Stephen said, it wasn't wrong. He said he's beatable now. He's hitting the ball all over the place. I can beat him. But 
guys like that take that and go, okay, let's see how good you got tomorrow. I'm going to make eight birdies on the front nine on you and beat you nine and eight, and, and that'll be in the record books forever. And he did it to us as well. So a really, really special week, an incredible captain. Um, for me, because I got to see the old Tiger when he wasn't very open, he wasn't very smiley, played a lot of mind games and tricks on the golf course to see the new Tiger, which I think humility brings in, but also his kids getting older. Uh, they have drastic impacts on your life. And I'm glad we all get to see this newer version uh, and get to see um, how special this, this guy is and, and what a player and, and now what a captain he is. I, I actually cried when I watched Tiger win the Masters. You know, it was, it was a cool moment watching that. But you guys, you guys were right in. I mean, what, you guys finished T5, you were 11 under. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. 64 on Saturday. I mean, you yeah. guys were right in the mix. I mean, that was yeah. quite a stacked leaderboard when you look it at was. it. It was. You look at that leaderboard as far as players go, and it, it's kind of mind-blowing for a second to realize that it was all elite players had risen to the top of that leaderboard. Like, there was nobody just out in the middle of nowhere that had snuck up there. And – you know, that's going to go down in history, obviously, for Tiger's win. And I think as the months have gone away, I'm appreciating it more and more. There, You know, that part inside you want to win. And we had a great opportunity. We just didn't putt well on Sunday. Missed about a four-footer on 15 and had some other misses inside of 10 feet. Um, ended up losing by two. But as the months have gone by and we're going on my – joy of being there my joy of witness it him being right behind us we were in the next to last group he was in the last group my favorite memory is on 17t brooks's over the ball um i tell brooks's caddy real quick ricky hey tiger's about to hit so ricky said brooks hold on a second tiger hits of course the ball lands and we had the best view in the world uh we're looking at it right here and this ball starts to go back and i just whispered to uh, Weber, I go, what is going to happen if this ball goes in? And it looks like it's going to go in. And, you know, the ball barely misses the loudest I could imagine. Besides a Ryder Cup first tee, it's the loudest I've ever heard. Um, and people are just going nuts. I had goosebumps on the tee box. And we still had a chance to win the tournament. We finished birdie-birdie. I thought we were going to be in a playoff. It would have been one short looking back on it now. But, um, you know, so – and Brooks tried to wait for the people to settle down, and they just were so loud. Brooks just hit and hit it about 320 right down the middle with people yelling and everything else. But, you know, you look back on that, and um, I'm a man of faith, so I don't believe, you know, there's like weird golf gods out there and all of that. But you look back at what it took for him to win that golf tournament, and it took at the time the hottest player in the world, uh, Molinari, to two very uncharacteristic golf shots, makes double on 12, and then hits it in the water on that wedge shot on 15, catching that pine cone of all things. Not a branch, but a pine cone. And then you take a look at Brooks, who hit one of the best iron shots he'll ever hit in his life on 12, goes in the water. Brooks loses by one. Um, pulled through, was chased down, lose by one. Tony hit it in the water uh, to lose. And so you go back and look, and then Tiger's drive on 13, no one talked about, but he hit it in the trees. It was going in the creek, and it hit a limb. It didn't just kick out. It kicked forward and right, um, and he was able to get it done. And so sometimes when you win, things are meant to be. And looking back on it now and to watch his smile leaving the 18th tee all the way to the scorer's tent, I'm glad I was there. I'll be able to tell my grandkids about it. And um, I really, really desperately want him. He better break that 82 record. Uh, I, I think that's about a, a guarantee if his body can hold up. I'd love to see him catch Jack, too. I think he's the greatest player of all time. I personally don't think there should be a legitimate argument in my heart uh, with the depth of fields that we play in now. And to be here, and he's beaten me head-to-head -head as a caddy 
I think I counted the other day, I think 19 tournaments I've played with Amos. He was winning the tournament um, in, in the last groups. So um, it's a special thing there, and it's a cool thing to look back on. Yeah, it's uh, um, it'll be it'll be cool, and I, I agree. I think uh, you know, I think Tiger's got a chance to tie Jack if he can hold up. Um, Stay healthy. Yes. And I'm looking forward to the, this Masters. I'm actually going to go this year, so um, are you going to go? I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's great being PGA. You can go for free, and um, yeah. we've gone a couple times, and it's it's quite the experience, that's for sure. Yeah, great. That's great. So, Paul, I just got one more we kind of topic that I kind of want to talk about, um, and then I'll let you go and you know spend time with your family on this weekend. The 2012 U.S. Open. You know, Weber played great there. What was it? Five birdies and four or five birdies and six holes. Yeah, um, yeah. We birdied. Uh, it would have been four out of five. Four birdies and five holes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that was that was an unbelievable win. I mean, he held off. You know, Jim Furyk and all these guys and. I mean, that, was, that course was playing very difficult that week from what I remember. It, you know, it really was. Well, you know, Tiger had the lead after 36 holes, and um, it's a strange week. Like, I, I still get a lot of questions. Like, people still don't understand why I have the players above the U.S. Open. But it was a week where we had missed two cuts going into the, the tournament, which was the first time in mine and his career that we had missed two cuts in a row. Um, momentum was down. Confidence was down. Um his son took his first steps while Webb was there on Monday and it just broke Webb. Like Webb thought about going home. Um, you know, uh, we were the last people hitting balls on Wednesday afternoon, uh, trying to find something. Uh, we found a little something late on Wednesday afternoon. He went out the first two days, played good, but unspectacular. I think he was in 29th place for two days. Uh, Saturday played an incredible round of golf, shot two under, but, it, it should have been kind of a comfortable four uh, just with some average putting. Um, didn't putt well, um, but shot 200, moved into seventh place. And on the way to the tee on Sunday, to not the, the first tee, but to the practice tee, he was interviewed. And after he was interviewed, we were walking up and I laughed. I said, Weber, do you realize it's the first interview you've given this week? And he just kind of laughed. Um, it was Webb's second U.S. Open. He's in seventh place. He just kind of climbed up there. Um, he reminded me he gave one after he shot 68 on on Saturday, but it was the first legitimate interview he'd had about the day and about what he thought. And we go out with two over par through five, which is about even par there. It's so hard, and six is a brutal hole. We made up our mind we were going to take on the tee shot. It, they have a, a bunker. It's meant to be a par five. It's a par four for the week, and there's only about 16 yards wide if you hit a driver. And if you hit the bunker, you have to lay up. We were like, man, we, we got to make something happen. He had a beautiful drive, hit a six iron, pushed to the hair, and Got a nice kick to about 12 feet and made it for birdie. Uh, was aggressive on the next hole, the drivable one. Hit three wood down there, made birdie, and then birdied that difficult par three. And all of a sudden, bam, you're in it. And so, long story short, we got done, and we're watching the finish, and we've won the golf tournament. And I gave him a hug, and I went and caught my red eye going home. I didn't even see the bird, man. I wasn't there for all of that. I was on a plane already coming home. And it's a mistake I wish I wouldn't have made because his agent ended up getting a private flight home, which I could have hopped on that and we would have had a great uh, memory. But, you know, me trying to get to the airport and there was only one player I saw it was Jonathan Bird. I gave him a hug, but I still remember on the airplane, like reading all the articles and I'm kind of like trying to take my phone and like point it because I wanted other people to see what I was looking at just so I could talk about it. But there was nobody to talk to. It was a red eye. Everybody was asleep and I, I got all this energy and I just want to talk to somebody and um, you know, it, it's interesting looking back because it was, it's incredible experience when the U S open, it feels great, but it, 
it was just kind of like we played golf and then they gave us – we really weren't in the mix until 12 holes to go. Now, we had a chance to win the golf. We were only four back going into Sunday. But I think you kind of understand it just – it felt like we weren't any part of the conversation uh, versus the players where we were, you know, wire to wire and it was all on him the entire week. It definitely seemed like a – I mean, including the Birdman interview at the end. Like, it just seemed like it was just a weird – kind of weird week, weird finish. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had Fury kind of stumbling at the end and, yeah. you know, kind of overlooked Webb's great play, honestly. Yeah, yeah, it, it really it really did. And, you know, you're always going to defend when people say, well, he backdoored in that. Well, you don't backdoor when you're in seventh place and you're four back going the last day. You still play great golf. But same time, I understand because we had a ton of energy. We hadn't been given any interviews. You know, Jim and Graham both were U.S. Open winners. They're both in the last group together. You expect one of them are going to shoot one over at worst. I thought even Parr was going to win the golf tournament. Wait, they started at – yeah, uh, they started at one under. So, I thought even Parr was going to win the golf tournament. Um, and I thought that's what we had to get to. When we finished at one over, um, they had moved the tee up on 16 that day, uh, 100 yards, which is a long way to go up on a hole. And I know – Jim said later on that it completely threw him. He got very uncomfortable. He didn't know where to hit it. And, you know, his only probably poor job of the week, he duck hooked it left and made bogey. And that was ended up being the difference. Um, I think he lost by two because he tried to force a birdie on 18. But, um, you know, and then Graham at the time was the most clutch putter in the game. Um, and he had that 22-footer on 18 to tie. And he had written down, he tells me the story now, he had written down, he had putted it in the practice round, and the practice round it had gone right. And he said he read it, and he saw it going a little left. But he looked at his book, and he goes, oh, no, it doesn't go left. So I'm going to play it to go right, and the ball went a hair left. So I'm glad whatever he saw in the practice round, I'm glad that he did and uh, that we didn't have to go back out for 18 more holes on Monday. Um, and uh, it, it's a great memory, but, again, just a little surreal that it just felt like uh, we kind of snuck up on everybody. Yeah, it is, it is cool. And, I mean, you've had quite, quite some uh... – cool experiences out there with Webb over the years and you know hopefully you guys can continue those this uh this year and beyond I hope, I hope so so Paul we uh we finish every interview or every episode with uh what we call the wicked fire round so Ooh. I'm gonna ask you three okay. three questions you answer uh as quickly as you can all right I'm ready favorite tour stop uh Charlotte I was waiting for sawgrass there I know. I wanted to say that's too easy for me. So it's a, that's not really a stop for me. That's kind of home. So I'll go with Charlotte. All right. Uh, the loudest roar on tour? Um, 16, hole-in-one um, from Molinari. And uh, what's your thoughts on uh, the 2020 Florida University football season? Ooh, I like it. Uh, my thoughts are 11-2. and two. We're going to get to the SEC championship game, get beat. I still think we're probably two years away. Or no, we are going to beat Georgia this year. We're going to get to the SEC championship game and fall just short. See, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. You know, as a Tennessee fan from uh, from Knoxville, I, I, I think this, uh, you know, I think what Pruitt's doing has got a, uh, you know, we're getting there. Y'all are, y'all are on the right wavelength. But, see, I'm a realist. You see how I just said we're, we're building. I don't think you're going to go from here to there yet. But y'all are going the right direction. What a great finish you had to last year's season. And no one really remembered that. I mean, it looked like another three and nine season coming your way and you turned it on and had a great finish. Yeah, that was, that was crazy. Those, those first two games, I was, I was pulling my hair. I think I got a couple extra gray hairs in the beard from it. 
Well, Zach, I had that from all of our battles together because there's never been another team that has given us more wins than Tennessee. Y'all have had us beat so many different times, I feel like, and just somehow uh, we find a way to sneak one out in, in the fourth quarter. But I definitely think both programs are going to have a nice, uh, like, five-year stretch coming up soon. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be good. And it's uh, I always love the, uh, the Florida week. Yeah, absolutely. It's a fun week. Thanks for having me on, Zach. Thanks for obviously all the questions and, and the foundation. Thanks for letting me get out of my wife's hair for a little bit. She needed the break for sure. Yeah, Paul, I, I appreciate you jumping on. And uh, once again, guys, if you want to donate to uh, the Tesori Family Foundation, you go to Tesori Family Foundation. Uh, dot org. Yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, hopefully we can uh, work with Paul and get something up here for, uh, for you Mainers. I love that. Thanks for having me on. Stay safe, stay warm. And uh, Zach, you better say hello in Augusta in November. I am definitely going to have to hit you up with that, uh, Paul. But uh, thanks again to Paul Tesori for joining us today. Uh, this has been another episode of Maine Golf Talk. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a special offer for those listening. You can purchase any Arcos Golf Club Tracking Sensors and save 10% using the promo code MAINGOLF. If you are looking to figure out what your game is doing in areas where you need to improve and shoot lower scores, check out Arcos Golf. Again, you can save 10% off using the promo code MAINGOLF. And we will see you guys next time on Main Golf Talk. Mm-hmm.